0: Have you ever gone through life and had that thing where you went in and, and you wanted to enjoy it, but you went in thinking, like, I'm not going to like this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me, let me say that again, because maybe I lost you. Have you ever had that thing, and you went in, and you're like, I want to like this. I have a desire to like I don't think I'm going to like this very much at all. Like, I really think this is going to be awful. Like, it's going to be horrible. I remember it was, like, seven years ago or so. Um, we had moved to the Kalamazoo area. Now, my whole family is from down south. Like, all of us are from down south. But there's, like, one set of Amy's cousins that moved away from down south, and they moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is so funny. So her cousin Chad and his wife Autumn, they're both communication professors at Western Michigan University. And we got together with them for that first Christmas. And we started this tradition, Chad and I did, where we would get each other presents Really just to hang out with each other. That was the goal of the present. We want an excuse to spend time together. And like through that process, he ended up cracking his tailbone. I ended up tearing a meniscus. Like it was a it was a beautiful partnership. It was it was fantastic. It all started though, that first Christmas, he got himself the same present, but he got me a, a gift pass to a place called Climb Kalamazoo. And and that gift pass, it allowed me to get one lesson and then I think three visits after that and he got himself the same thing and I thought to myself, this going to be awful. Like, there, this is not going to be fun. Rock climbing inside sounds horrible. And then I, I'm going to go, and I'm going to sweat, and I'm going to work and work out. And I'm going to do this after preaching on Sundays. I don't have any energy after preaching. I don't know if y'all ever seen me preach, but I'm tired after I preach. So I thought, I'm not going to have any energy. He's going to want me to work out. And then, I mean, but I, I want to spend time with Chad. I like Chad. So, all right, I'm going to try to like it. And I got into it, and this is me. Like, this, this is what ended up happening. Yup. So it starts out, you go up like the kid's wall, right? And the kid's wall, like little seven-year-olds can almost walk up this thing. And then it gets more and more difficult. And before you know it, you're hooked. Like they get you in there and you can't, like, and I got my own shoes. Those are my shoes there. And you got, I got my own harness. For like two years, we went every single Sunday. And what I love about it, as you're going through the process, all of a sudden, at first you had to go up the kid's wall, and that was scary. And then you get to this point where you're like holding on to the wall, and you're looking up thinking, the only way to get to where I want to go is to jump. And, and something, then you go, no, I can do this. this is a great idea, you know? And you, you just jump up, and that's what I did there. You jump up and you grab a handhold, and it's this huge cup, and you grab it, and then you can take your toes and swing up to these little bitty rocks and get your way up there. And then there's times where the wall will actually do this thing, so your back is pointed at the floor, which seems, when you think about how gravity works, like you're like, that can never work. But it does. You just use technique, and you can all of a sudden get through this. So this actually ended up being one of those things that I, I didn't think I would like it, but I really did like it. Skiing came later, and that's where I kicked myself in the head. Snow patrol people had to come and pull me off the ski slopes. I've got the video. I'll show you that later. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes it happens with all of us. I think sometimes we have those things that we want to like, but we don't expect that we will. And honestly, I think that's what happens with the Word of God. I think that we know we need the Word of God for our Christian life. I think we know that. But I think so oftentimes what we do when we think about studying and reading the Word of God, I think think we think about it like it's work. Or like it's something I'm going to have to just kind of just push through and, man, I'll just have to. I don't think oftentimes we look at it in a way that says, no, I'm going to love and hunger for God's word. I think that's what's going to happen when I start to read it. Again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside. Romeo, I'm Billy Creech, and I'm your lead campus pastor. We're in the second week of our sermon series in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. But before I get there, let me just say thank you. All for being here. I know how easy it would have been today just to say, you know, I'm not even going to hit snooze. I'm turning that thing off. Like, that's it. The roads are icy. I'm out. And yet, you are here. And I just want you to know that I am expectant this morning of what the Lord is going to do in all of our hearts. I I really am. So let's take our Bibles and open up to Psalm 119 this morning. Psalm 119 is the largest of all the Psalms with 176 versus Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119, I think, is an amazing work of art. And I say art because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 has 22 stanzas where each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a, is a different heading. And what it was used for is to take Hebrew children and to teach them to love the Bible, to love God's Word and to pray and how to apply that to everyday life. 2,000 years ago, it was used for children. Well, if we today pray to our Heavenly Father, then doesn't it make sense that we're His kids? We're sons and daughters of the Most High. That's that's who we are. See, I don't, I don't think Psalm 119 was just meant to be used 2,000 years ago as a, as a as a primer for Hebrew children. I think it's meant to be our primary this morning. So that's one reason I'm so excited about this series because it really just gets back to the basics on how to maximize God's word in our lives. So today we're gonna to read through verse 33 through 40 is where we're gonna be. Before I start though, remember I said uh, each section is a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Today's letter is hey, but it's not like hey, how y'all doing? It's not like hey, like what, cows eat? Like H-A-Y, it's not that hey, it's hey, H-E, which is spelled he, I know, but it's pronounced, hey, and this is really meant for the strugglers. So if you're a person who's ever struggled, if you've ever looked at the Bible and you've thought to yourself, like, I want to read it, I want to study it, I want to know more about it, I'm just struggling. Or it's not just the Bible. If there are hurts, habits, and hangups in your life, and you have personally been struggling at any level, this psalm, this section of, of, of Psalm 119 is really for you. Here's what it says. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it apart. Uh, psalm 119, starting in verse 33 through 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law, and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promises that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules. I like this. Your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Now, one of the most powerful things that someone who's struggling can do, one of the most powerful things you can do if you're struggling is ask for help, right? And yet that's what we see with this with this uh, Hebrew letter here. What it really is pointing to is it's pointing to a cause-driven prayer in the Hebrew. Lord, please cause X or Y to happen. In fact, what you see is it's just packed full of, of a pleading full of a pleading kind of a prayer, asking God to act on our behalf. Do you see that? That's what it's going to do over and over, asking God to act on our behalf. That's really the big idea today. The big idea is we need God in order to love God's word. We need God in order to love God's word. So if you've ever struggled, and I, I think that's all of us. I think every single person in here, we've all struggled with faith at one point or another. If you've ever, or struggled at any point in your life, if you've ever struggled, what I want to do is take the rest of the sermon this morning and really point to three ways that you can pray to start to address those struggles. The first that we're going to see this morning is we need to pray for clarity to obey God's word. Let's look down at verse 33 and 34 again. The word says this, it says, "'Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end.'" Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So when you read the Bible, I just want you to do this. Starting today, before you ever open the Bible, before you open a commentary, before you open your Bible study book written by whoever, before you get to all of that, just stop and ask God, doesn't this make sense? Like wouldn't you want God to intervene in your study of his word? Just to ask him to speak to you. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Before you ever open it, just say, God, I need your clarity. I need discernment before I open this and start to read. But it's not just so that you can understand, right? It's so that you can obey. I remember when my kids were little, I had to invent all kinds of rules I didn't know as a dad I'd have to make. Like, I never knew I had to make a rule that said don't stick your finger in the light socket. You know, to me, that's just, just don't do that. But you have to teach kids don't because they don't know better. They don't, you have to make rules that says don't sit at the dog food bowl and just munch that stuff up. Like, we don't do that around here. It's not okay. That's disgusting. Stop it. You got to teach. Finally, I got to the point as a dad. That I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I am over all the rules. Because I had rules upon rules upon rules. And I'm like, I'm, I'm over it. So here's what I did. I'm like, boys, I have one rule. And they're looking at me like, uh-oh. You know, and I'm like, no, one rule. I was doing the dad voice, you know, wrinkling my face. And I'm like, one rule. Always do what you know is right. I'm like, that should cover everything, right? We're good. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, so if you don't, if you don't do something right, I may correct you. I may correct you because you're doing something wrong, but if you know it's right, and you do the opposite, then you're in tr- there's a difference in correction, and like you're in trouble, right? But anyway, I think when we read the Word of God, we don't want to, to read it and understand it here. We want to read it and obey it. As God's kids, we want to obey Him. We want to read in a way that it leads to life change. That's what should ho- happen as we read the Bible. So this stands in Psalm 119. Here's what we find this. We find this prayer to God for divine help. Do you see that? It starts with saying, God, I need you in this. I need you to help me understand. And then you see this incredible place of humility. Look at the key words here. He He says, teach me. He says, give me. He says, direct me. He says, turn my heart, turn my eyes, fulfill, take away. Such a tone of humility and dependence. On him, isn't that incredible? It's just screaming off the pages at us right here. The humility that he has, and saying, "Lord, I need you through this process." The first verb that you saw there in verse thirty-three is "teach." That's the first verb that's used. This is where you say, "God, I need you to work in my life." We we want a deep theology church. We want a deep understanding of the Word of God. But I want you to know, you cannot have that without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You can't have it. If you're brand new to church, this is the Old Testament that we're looking at now. The Old Testament came and the prophets came. And then there was a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's where Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill everything that was talked about in the Old Testament. After Jesus had lived and died and rose again and then ascended into heaven, eventually this guy named Paul came along. He was a leader in the early church, and he talks about this exact moment. You might want to write this reference down, 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says this. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Let me say it a different way. People who are far from God, people who are far from the church, If if you know anyone like that or if that's you today, then the ways of God, Paul uses the word folly. They're folly to him. It's going to seem like foolishness. You ever talk to people in your family who they're they're not a person who follows the Lord? Like when you talk about your life and you talk about the things you're investing in and you talk about the ways that you serve, it's not going to make sense. It's going to seem ridiculous. Here's what Paul says. He says he's not able to understand them because they are supernaturally discerned. That's what Paul says. They're supernaturally Meaning. You and I, to get that depth that we want, we need the Holy Spirit. It's not like an optional thing. We need the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives so we can discern and understand the ways of God. And it's not in a way that you understand math. It's not one plus one makes two, John 3.16 says. It's not like that. It's a deeper understanding, and we know that because of verse 33 and 34. Verse 33 and 34 says, I will keep it to the end, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. You see, if, you, if you're learning the ways of God, if you're reading your Bible, and yet you never apply it, that's, that's weird. Like, I, I, don't, I don't, it's foolish. It'd be, so my freshman year of college, I took a class called Voice and Speech Improvement. Which sounds like a blow-off class, and that's what I thought. Like, I thought I was taking just an easy course to get my three-hour credit so I could move on. And it was the hardest course of my undergraduate career by far. Because I got in there, and they started with, let's talk about how to breathe. True story. I had to relearn how to breathe. And then they said, let's learn how to talk because you you all do it incorrectly. You know, they're like, right now, if you talk for three or four hours or for five hours, they're like, you know how at the end, like, your voice is all scratched? They're good, because you talk wrong. You're not talking correctly, so they undid everything that I thought I knew about how just to be a human, right? And it's like I have to learn how to talk again because they said the goal is to use your tool, which is your voice. You have to use your voice in a way that you can talk for hours and hours and hours and you're still okay because you didn't tear your tool up. You know, you don't want a bloody throat. That's that's disgusting. Don't do that. And then it got really hard because it got really personal. They held up this writing utensil instrument and they said, Billy, what is this? Now, you think my accent is thick now. Oh my goodness. Like, I was Billy from I know Oklahoma, and I said, That, well, that's a pen. Everybody knows what that is. Shoot. That's, that's a pen. And they're like, A what? I'm like, It's, it's a pen. And they're like, No, you, you pin a tail on a donkey. That's P I N. This is a P E N. And so they started to try to beat the oaky out of me. They almost did it, church. They didn't quite get there, but they almost did. And, um, Here's the thing, though. If I would have taken that class, and I would have learned how not to abuse my voice, and I, I learned how to breathe, and I learned how to say that thing that you write with—that I'm not going to say, because I'll mess it up, because I'm nervous now—if um, I learned all that and I said I don't care, I don't care if I do it incorrectly and I end up with polyps on my throat or whatever—I yeah, just, I'm just going to do what I want to do because that's how I want to do it. That, you would look at me and you'd say, Billy, you're a fool. Like, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. Why would you take what you know, in, in that, but isn't that what we do with the Bible? See, that's why we don't just want to read it to understand it. We read in a way that says we want this to transform our lives. We want this to change me. This is a gutsy prayer. I'm going to tell you right now, church. You want a gutsy prayer? You want a prayer that's going to make you uncomfortable? Pray that. Lord, teach me. Because if you pray, Lord, teach me, it will change everything. It's going to change the way that you love the Lord. And it's going to change the way that you love people. There's no other option. It's going to change you. Which brings us to the second way we can pray in order to maximize God's words in our lives. We want to pray for a desire to want God's word. Look what it says. I'm going to look at verse 35, 36, and 40. 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments for I, look what it says, for I delight And I would circle that word if I was you. For I delight in it. Incline, I'd also circle that word. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Now, maybe it's just me, but when I read verse 35, I look at it and I go, I don't think that's oftentimes where we are as a church body. Here's what I think. I think that we try to be obedient and do the right thing. That's what I think. So I think you hear sermons like this. I think you hear a sermon series like the one we're in, Pages. And I think it makes you in the morning go, all right, well, I guess I'm going to set my alarm for 30 minutes early. I'm going to get up, make some coffee, take my Bible, sit down at the table, throw all my name tags out my Bible, you know, and then I'm going to, if you didn't see that, just drop my name tag out my Bible. But I haven't, look what they gave me. They gave me one with my picture and my name on it because they got sick of me sticking little stickers on me. So I have my own little,
1: isn't that great?
0: Anyway, so I, I think sometimes... Sometimes we sit at the table and, and we, we go in and we want to like it and we want to try. And, but that's not what the psalmist, and I'm going to use the word psalmist all the way through this series, just so you know, because we think maybe, possibly it was King David who wrote this, but we're not sure. And since we're not sure, I just want to say psalmist to keep us all just kind of honest as we're working our way through it. The psalmist right here uses a different word, though. The psalmist uses the word delight. Do you see that? Delight doesn't mean hard work It doesn't mean difficult It doesn't mean dreary It doesn't mean like man this is something I have to do There's delight in it Verse 36 stands as a centerpiece To help us understand where it comes Look it says this is a matter of a renewed and reborn heart He says God I want you to incline my heart Incline my heart Point my heart towards you Because God is the same yesterday, today and forever He never changes and we have to align our ways with his because right now they're not. You know that, right? So oftentimes what happens is we're supposed to align ourselves with God. We're supposed to incline our hearts towards God, and what we do is we look and incline our hearts at ourselves, at idols, at, at sin. That's what we do. If you're not pointing it towards God, you're pointing it at sin. Like there, there's no other option. You're either pointing at God or you're not, and if you're not, that's sin, and that's what we do. We fall into the pattern of chasing ourselves, and what we see is we see him here saying, "I, I want to take delight in you, God, I take delight in you, and so to take delight in you, I need you to incline my heart toward yours you know it's, it reminds me a little bit of when i when I grew up my uh, my mama was an awful cook, and i 'm not trying to be mean if my mama was standing here, she would say the same thing she would say she would laugh really, really hard, and her face would get red, and, and she would maybe snort, maybe, and, and she would laugh, and she would say, because I would say, Mama, what was that saying that you had growing up when it came to your cooking? What would you say? And she would do her head like this, and she would say, brown it's cooking, black it's done, you know, and so my mom burned everything, like it was awful, and so when I think about the word meatloaf growing up, <laughs> For some of you have good memories of meatloaf. Mine was not so good because she did burn everything, and and it was like an inch of black stuff on the bottom of the meatloaf, and the top was almost done, you know. And so it was just something in between, and it was just a mess, you know. And she put it on my plate, and I would stare at the meatloaf, and I would think to myself like, I don't want to eat it, but. In my home growing up, you didn't get up until you cleaned your plate. There was no, I'm going to turn my nose at any. It didn't matter whether you like it or not. They worked hard to put that food on that table, and you weren't going to waste anything. You know, there are kids in Africa starving to death down the street, too. So you better eat that food, you know. And so I'd sit there and I'd just gulp and just try my best to get it down. And then we had a dishwasher. His name was Billy. And I had to scrape the pan to get all that black stuff off of the pan. And and as I grew up, anytime people would say, like, you want some meatloaf, there was like this gulp, and it was like, <laughs> nope, I don't, I don't really want any meatloaf. But what I learned is it can be mighty tasty. I had to learn that. Like, I had to learn, it really can it can be tasty. In fact, I find it quite delightful now. And maybe that's where you are with studying God's Word. Maybe you're at a place where at some point, you tried to study it, and, and it, it was hard, a little bit crusty, you know, and you, you just... You just found like it it, it was really tough to do and so you bailed and you got out and the psalmist is saying, I want to incline my heart towards yours. God, I I want to find delight in your word. That's where I want to be. I mean, that's how I hope we all end up. This prayer changes everything. I want you to know something while I'm on that topic. If you pray, Lord, incline my heart towards yours, I want you to know we do not have a secret agent God. He's not trying to hide from you. You don't have to figure out the combination to unlock the mysteries of God. Again, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you seek Him, you will find Him. He is there. And I guarantee you, you pray, Lord, teach me, incline my heart towards yours, and you open His holy word and, and, and let it breathe into you. You open it up, He's going to start talking to you. He is. His word will speak to you, I promise. Which brings us up to the third and final point this morning in a way that we want to pray. To maximize God's word in our lives is we want to pray for grace to embrace the gospel promises. Verse thirty-seven through thirty-nine says this: it "says Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules. Listen to this: your rules are good. Your rules are good." here, these verses are bookended by the central issue that we need—we need God's promises to help us. So the psalmist prays that God would number one, in verse thirty-six, turn our hearts to Him. Two, in verse thirty-seven, we see that we should turn our eyes away from worthless things, and then three, turn the uh, shame—turn away from the shame of our guilt. This is the stuff right here. You want something that's radically going to change your life? Here it is. First, he says our eyes have to be redirected away from the idols. Just a second ago, I was talking about there's God's ways and then there's our ways, which tend to be over here. If you're focused on anything other than God's ways, those are idols in your life. That's sin. That's sin. He's saying first thing you need to do is you need to turn away from that. The second thing, we're going to ask God to confirm his promises so that we fear him. But this isn't like if you grew up in an abusive environment, then the word fear, the word fear has some very negative connections for you, doesn't it? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this, this fear of living life in, in any place other than being under his wings. Now, he is perfectly loved, but he's also perfectly just. And the, the psalmist right here is saying, I, I want to know that the things you're saying, God, those promises are going to be kept. Those promises are going to be true. Like in God's word, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it says in scripture. This is where we want to go back to the word again and again and again, and we want to see him continue to affirm those promises to us. But you know what happens? What happens is sin enters the picture. And I want to talk very real just for a second because I, I hope this isn't you. Maybe it's been you before. Maybe it is you right now. But sometimes sin enters the picture, and we know, like we know that what I'm doing doesn't align with God's word. We know that I'm not living a life that's an example of Christ. I'm I'm not living that out. I'm not living out my faith. And we know that. And when you're living a life that says I'm intentionally sinning, I'm intentionally rebellious, I'm intentionally saying there's God's ways, yeah, I'm really not interested in it right now. What tends to happen, and hopefully this isn't you, but what tends to happen is all of a sudden, we don't want to study God's word every morning, do we? We don't, we don't really want that. We don't really want to go to church. Like maybe people around you kind of guilt trip you into going to church, but the whole time you're sitting there with arms crossed thinking, yeah, I won't be here. He'll stop preaching soon enough. I'll get out here and go to lunch, you know, and, and that's kind of where we go. You don't want to be in your neighborhood group. But listen, when, when you do open the Bible... When you do come and, and you gather with the saints, when you when you do get in that neighborhood group, you're giving people an opportunity to remind you of God's promises. Don't run from that. If you are in that place where you're struggling, don't run from those environments because those are environments where God's going to speak to you. He's going to remind you of his promises. You're going to be reminded of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says this. If we confess our sins, before I go any further, let me just stop. And say, this is huge. Before you read anything else. God is perfectly loved. But he is also perfectly just. And we struggle because we're not. We're not perfectly loved and perfectly just. We'll say, I love you. And what that means is, I love you unless you do something that really hurts me. And then I'm done with you. Well, that's not perfectly love. And we're not perfectly just. You know, I have two boys. One's four years older than the other. And so oftentimes he will let me know, man, you let Gabe do stuff that you never let me do. Like, I would have been busted for that. And he just goes through life like no big deal, you know, because we're not perfectly just. We change, don't we? we? We flounder. Our court systems are a perfect example. That, our, our, our houses are our pillars of justice, right? And yet the laws are constantly changing because we're not just. But God is. He doesn't change. And it starts with confessing your sin. It starts with saying, God, I'm over this. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm slamming on the brakes. I'm repenting. I'm going away from my sin, and I'm going straight to you. That's church. That's where this starts, First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, listen what the then is. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. His grace is sufficient. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how messy it's gotten. His grace is enough. It really is sufficient. And see, you, you need to be in the word and you need to be at church and you need to be in a neighborhood group so you can be reminded of these promises. This is what we want. We want to be reminded of these promises. You're not meant to do this journey alone. You know that, don't you? I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people through the years who have said, Well, I don't go to church anymore. I used to go to church, I'm still a Christian, you know, I just don't go to church, because this is going to surprise you, for some of you, but sometimes church people can be mean. Like, we're messy, guys, we are, we're, we're messy, and sometimes we hurt each other, and, and I've talked to people who have said, well, I, I used to go to church, but I don't anymore, but I'm still a Christian, and that's okay, I can just stay home and go to Bedside Baptist, and I can be just as Christian as anyone else, and I think the thing is, is when you look at the Word of God, when you look at the Word of God, it's, that's never in there. We're never called to Lone Ranger Christianity. We're never called to doing this on our own, ever. We're called to do this as a body. We're called to do this together because you need people encouraging you. Now, I'm wearing this jersey, and I'm, I should never do that again. Whatever I did, I should not do that. So this jersey, I, 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 don't, I don't run. I'm just here to encourage all the people who do. And... Um, <laughs> So on the way out in the lobby, make sure you talk to the other people wearing the yellow jerseys. But as I've talked to people who run, here's one of the things that I've heard over and over and over, is they've said, you know, the training, you you work through the training and it gets to this place where you crave the training, but they've said the best is race day, the best, because here's what happens. On race day, as, as you're running and you're, you're doing things that you never thought possible because you started with the couch, the 5K app, and now you're just getting it. They said the best is you got people standing on the sides ringing cowbells and holding up signs and screaming at you. You can do it. Keep going. Don't you stop. And that's what we are. That's what this is. When we come together as a church, we are supposed to be in each other's lives, in each other's spaces, and we're supposed to be people saying, keep going. You can do this. You really can be transformed by God's promises. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. And if you're the person that for years has been speaking into other people's lives and encouraging them, I want to tell you, do not stop this race. Don't you do it. It is worth it. It is worth it. And we want to keep praying. So this morning, I want us to do something. We we just don't do this, and maybe we should do it more often. I know it's going to weird some of you out, and that's okay. We need to do it still. In just a moment, we're just going to stand, and I, I just want us all unified. In just a moment, you guys can hold on just a moment, but I want to tell you what, what we're going to pray first. Um, old school church, I man, I hated this part. This part where you join hands with people next to you. Now, if you're family members, get even closer than hold handy. Put your arms around each other. Man, we should be in each other's lives as part of this journey. If, if, if it's not, if you're like Stranger Danger, I don't know you. Just go grab hands. <laughs> They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Just, just, just grab hands. But I, I just want to pray for us as a body. I, I want to pray, first of all, for those of you who are wanting to study the Bible. You haven't been studying the Bible. You've been trying to trust all of your nourishment on a 33-minute sermon, and you can't do that. And maybe it's been scary for you to even jump in and go for it because you're afraid of failing. I, I just want to pray for courage for you. I want to pray for those of you that when I talk about sin and running from the Bible and running from God and running from church and running from neighborhood groups, I, I want to pray for you that you find that place of saying, I, I, want, I want that environment where I can go to God and I can say, God, I am repenting of my sin. I am turning from my sin because you're going to find grace. You are going to find a heavenly father with so much grace in that moment. I just want to pray for us as a church body that we continue to encourage each other well to run this race, to do things that we didn't know we would like, but once we get in it, we're going to love it. So at this time, church, I just want us to stand. And I want us to to join hands, to put arms around each other, and I'd like us to connect from between the aisles if we can. I know, again, it's kind of old school church, but I think there's something beautiful and good about coming together. Filling in the gaps. I like it. (laughs) You know, I know I've said this before, but I just want you to think about this. You have the opportunity throughout the week to worship God however you choose. You can turn on just acoustic music. You can turn on just hymns. You can turn up your radio and crank it. You can get alone in your prayer closet. We get opportunities all throughout six and a half days of the week to to worship God independently. Worshiping God is where we respond to his glory and his greatness and his workings. That's what worship is. Worship is a response to God. But this is so unique because this right here, my friends, this really is just a, just a snapshot of heaven right here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment and we don't take it lightly. God, I pray for those in this room who maybe they've been scared of the Bible. They've been scared to jump in. Maybe they look at it like meatloaf and they're they're afraid of it a little bit. Lord, I pray for a hunger. I pray for a hunger and a desire to align our ways with yours and to open your holy word and to be transformed by it. Not just read it and understand. Yes, we want solid theology, God. We We want a deeper understanding, but we want a deeper understanding so we can be a better reflection of you. So, God, I pray for courage in this room, for people to have the courage to open their Bibles all throughout this week so that we are able to live life with a Christ-likeness. Lord, I pray for those who are chained to sin right now, and they've been struggling because they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to escape it. Lord, let it start with a repentant heart. Let it start with saying, I am sick of this thing controlling my life. I'm sick of being the chains to this funk and this junk. Lord, that's why Jesus came. He came so that we can be free. So I pray for a freedom. A freedom that starts with repenting of the junk in our lives and turning to you. I pray this morning for hearts to be turned wholeheartedly to you. Let us turn from worthless idols in our lives, God. Let us seek you and seek you only with everything that we have. And God, I pray for us as a church body. That as a church body, we continue to encourage each other. We don't give up. We don't go quiet. We stand on the side and we shake the cowbells. We put our arms around each other. We run this race with perseverance, with our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we don't want to be quiet. Continue to strengthen us as a church. Continue to build us as a church with Jesus as a cornerstone. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said,